Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Nick Opich of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis and psychedelics industries forward. This week, Anne is being joined by guest host Sarita Wright, and they are speaking with guest Andres Fajardo, newly appointed CEO of Clever Leaves, a leading multinational operator and licensed producer of pharmaceutical-grade cannabinoids. Fajardo brings 20 years of management experience, and as co-founder of the company, he has led the development of Clever Leaves' first 18 hectares of certified cultivation and post-harvest facilities, the design and construction of a certified extraction and formulation plant, and the creation of a robust pipeline of clients and brands. For the last six years, Fajardo has overseen the development, expansion, and global marketing plans of Clever Leaves as the former president and has now assumed the role of CEO. In this episode, our hosts explore Clever Leaves' current global operations since we last caught up with the company in 2020 and how the company has managed to effectively meet the needs and demands of cannabis consumers in various markets all over the world, including Australia, Brazil, Germany, Israel, the U.S., and Colombia. Through their robust supply chain, strong partnerships, and premium product portfolio, Cleverly's has continued to demonstrate its ability to grow and potentialize its full capabilities. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our discussion with Clever Leaves CEO, Andres Farhado. Welcome back to The Green Rush. I'm Ann Donahoe, uh, here with um, my special co-host, Sarita Wright, uh, a beloved colleague of mine, uh, for a new episode um, featuring Andres Fajardo, the co-founder and recently appointed CEO of Cleverleaf. So we talked a while back. Um, we uh, we were thinking late late 2020 um, when Cleverleaves was um, about to go public. So I'm um, excited to get an update from Andres there. But, um, you know, before we jump in, um, Andres, I'd love for you to tell us just a little bit about yourself, your background, um, and how did you come to cannabis? Well, you know, Anna, Sarita, pleasure to be here. So it's an interesting story because, uh, you know, I'm the last the, the person you would imagine in cannabis. Uh, I was an uh, industrial engineer, economist by trade. I did uh, management consulting for 10 years uh, at a big, you know, multinational company. I went to Harvard Business School during my time there. Uh, and I work mostly for pharmaceutical and consumer product companies. Uh, I'm really specialized in the emerging world, so I had to travel a lot. I was living in Mexico at the end uh, and decided to come back to Colombia and wanted to get some you know, hands-on experience and actually you know, managing a business as opposed to just recommending people how to manage a business. And I did. I became the CEO of an IT services and outsourcing company back then. It was a company, you know, that served different uh, industries in Colombia, one of them healthcare. And one of the things we did is we helped transform the way medical claims were processed in the country. Uh, so it was pretty interesting. That's how I kind of got a little bit into healthcare. And then I met one of my business partners, Gustavo Escobar, and uh, we decided to leave our work and start a, a company builder at that time. And uh, we did so for a few months because... Shortly thereafter, we joined forces with a third partner, uh, Julian, 
who uh, who used to be the drug policy director for the Ministry of of, uh, of Justice in Colombia, you know, and and uh, actually the two of them, you know, who were skydivers, you know, started discussing the idea over one of their skydiving trips, etc. As regulation was changing, they came to me and I said, it sounds good. They asked me, are you sure you're going to go into cannabis? Go to your kids' school and say you're in cannabis. And I said, oh my god. Let me check with my boss. I did, and uh, my boss, I mean my wife, and then you know, we, we, <laughs> okay. we embarked, we embarked on it, go. and that's, yeah. that's how we that's how we got uh, you know into cannabis, and we found the Clever Leaves in March, April 2016, uh, here in Colombia. You know, I'm 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 Colombian, born and raised. I lived here. You know, there are many people who are Colombian but never actually lived here. So, but but I have and have run businesses here. And, uh, you know, I think we started then and, and it was 2018 uh, when a Northern Swan, you know, Kyle, that you'd spoken to before, the previous CEO who was leading Northern Swan, they invested in Clever Leaves. Then subsequently we merged, we became just one company. It was Clever Leaves then, Kyle was CEO, I was president since 20, that was October 2019 or so. Uh, we went public, uh, you know, in, in late 2020. And then, you know, we made the transition to me becoming CEO uh, in March of this year. So we have been with the company uh, for almost, you know, six years, a little bit more since its creation. Wow, that's a really, really exciting story. And I love that journey that you guys had. And of course, you know, the stigma is absolutely real, right? You got to go, okay, yeah, I'm gonna, am I going to be in this industry and also tell people about it? Yeah. Uh, you know, I volunteer as tribute. So thank you for, for sharing that. Can you tell us more about Cleaver Leaves? You know, what's the company's history, mission and goals? And how does the company set itself apart from other industry players? Yeah, I would say from the beginning, you know, we wanted to start a company that actually brought benefits to people around the world. And particularly as we were thinking of cannabis and we saw the opportunity, I'll go there, you know, to the more economic thesis in a minute or find, you know, business thesis in a minute. You know, we we thought that we could, uh, you know, be a, a real catalyst of bringing the benefits of medical cannabis to patients around the world. And, and we truly believe that and still, you know, the, the purchase sorry, the purpose of, of, of our company. Um, you know, so we started the company with that in mind, uh, you know, and also, and uh, you can see it here, you know, we, we also talk about Mojo, which is the way we run the company, the way we want people to be in the company. And that's basically, you know, we believe that when people are in the Mojo, they really love what they do, which is different to doing what you love, you know, the optimist, doing it with optimism, shouting into the world. And if you can achieve that combined with, you know, sound business strategy and execution, you can have a successful business. So that was the purpose of the company. And uh, and the thesis was very straightforward. I would say it is very straightforward. And it is that, you know, you shouldn't be growing cannabis where you shouldn't be growing cannabis. You know, it doesn't make any sense to grow cannabis where it's being grown today in many places around the world. Uh, and, and frankly, it's a result of regulation that does not allow for more, you know, business sensible places to grow cannabis right that's why you grow avocados where you grow avocados that's why you know colombia you know uh, represents 70 percent of flour cut flour exports to the us so the idea was if we're thinking of a globalized world in medical cannabis industry we should be producing cannabis where it makes sense and we should be selling cannabis where it makes sense and that's why we have you know, since the beginning, an operation in Colombia, which was built to the highest standards, because we always knew we were going to be scrutinized even more than anybody else, right? But we have the cost advantage, you know, we have the regulation advantage, and I would argue that we have an advantage of, you know, the awareness of the Colombian brand, if you will, that's one. 
And that's one of our sites. The other one is in Portugal. Why? Because we believe that being within Europe makes also sense, you know, hedges against any geopolitical risks. You know, as adult use comes into play in, 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 in Europe, we believe we're probably better positioned than others, you know, by having a, a, a you know a foothold uh, within Europe. We think Portugal made most sense in the world, sorry, within Europe from a cost perspective and talent perspective. And that's why we picked those two sites. We selected where to grow. Are the Colombian or Portuguese markets big markets themselves? No, they are good markets to produce. Now, where do we sell? We focus on five markets, Australia, Israel, Germany, Brazil, and the US, that's it. So we grow cannabis where it makes sense, we sell cannabis where it makes sense. And that's what we have been building all, all these years. That's in essence the thesis, and we believe you know, it, you know, it, it represents the real right to win for us, right? Uh, because it's competitive advantage that's sustainable in the future. Are prices going to go down? Yes, they're going to go down. It's happening. So you can always, you know, pull your prices down. The issue is, you no, know, no, prices is easy, but you have the cost. We have the cost. So we have the cost, the quality, the scale, and that's why we build the company the way we build it. You know, you guys talk about these five markets. Would you say that, you know, in, in two years or in three years, are those five markets still going to be your, your core markets? Or would you look to expand because legislation and, and regulations are changed so quickly in this industry? Or is there enough runway in these five countries for you to, to still continue to, to gain market share um, and grow your business that way? No, I mean, definitely we see two things, uh, you know, and one is each of these markets has a lot of room to expand, right? If you, let, let's take, for example, the German market, right? You know, it was just in Germany last week, you know, and, and, and we were discussing whether it's a 100 to 120,000 patient market. You know, Germany is mm -hmm. a big country. The incidence, the number of patients is extremely low. So is there a possibility for medical cannabis to grow within Germany? Tremendous. Mm -hmm. So each of those countries, you know, Germany, Australia, um, you know, Israel, I would argue that the penetration is much higher. So there it's going to be a little bit of a different, uh, you know, competitive landscape. Brazil, where products are just, you know, going into the country. So th those are going to be, you know, countries with, you know, large markets today, but most importantly, with significant growth opportunities in the future. Definitely. Now, do we think we're only going to be focused on those five markets, uh, you know, come two or three years? Definitely not. You know, right now, you know, we have our eye on, on, on a different set of markets within Europe. So it's basically, uh, you know, the, the UK, you know, it's been slow, very slow, but it's starting to move. So we have, we have, you know, one of our eyes there. Poland is another market that's, you know, big, you know, in terms of the population. So we're also having, you know, some questions there with some clients. <laughs> yeah, and growing. Yeah. Uh, you know, France is, you know, uh, finishing in theory, it's pilot next year. So maybe that's going to, so we have our eyes on those markets, uh, on this side of the world, you know, definitely Mexico is a big opportunity. So after Brazil, mm -hmm. you know, Mexico is a big opportunity and we're starting to work there, but here is the thing, you know, we figured that, uh, painfully, but we figured that to enter any of these markets, you know, you need at least three things to work out. Number one, you need your commercial agreements. And many times we get asked, why don't you put more feet on the ground? More? Commercial agreements are relatively straightforward. You know, we are talking to the partners, you know, in different geographies. We know who they are. There are ones who work with us or those and those, but we're working. It's, it's relatively straightforward. And, 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 you know, you've seen, we've, we've issued a number of press releases highlighting a number of agreements in the past, you know, few months. So that's kind of set up. But you still need commercial efforts in each market you want to go. 
But second and third, which is something that people sometimes, you know, do not uh, take into account is to actually realize revenue, it has to go way beyond the commercial elements, right? You need, number one, the regulatory pathways. Those are hard. Those change. Those are dynamic. So it's not like, you know, the path you open today is going to be the path you have there in six months. Take Israel, for example. You know, they sometimes uh, allow input. Sometimes they have a little bit more, you know, uh, protecting their own growers, um, making sure the quality, uh, you know, requirements are there. So you always have to be, you know, battling, you know, with these forces of regulation that's ever changing, even in these geographies. And third, which is, you know, one of the most critical aspects is, and we learned this the hard way, frankly, is, particularly when you're talking about flour, but even in extracts, the, the, the product that sells in Israel is not the same that sells in Germany or in Australia. So they are conceptually the same flour, but the, what people are looking at, what people value in the different markets is different. And, 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 and look, we are, we're, we're, we're an EU GMP company, right? We're a pharmaceutical type company. We have all of this. So, you know, at the beginning, we always thought, okay, flour is going to be straightforward. We have our COAs or a certificate of analysis. And as long as the THC is there and the CBD is there, Done. Well, guess what? No, that's not true. Why? Because you know we have what now we call it's a fancy name, but it's the organoleptic characteristics, which are the organoleptic characteristics, the size of the bud, the smell, the trimming, the terpenes, and all of those things that come into play when you're talking about flower change by country. It's not the same. One of the things we've learned is that it changes. So now the reason why we decided to focus is entering a small market is as complex and sometimes even more complex that entering those big markets. So we're focused commercially, regulatory, and from a product development perspective in those specific markets. And we believe that allows us to enhance what we call the right to win, right? When we're there, we really understand the market. We're starting to shift and we focus on only a set of markets, you know, which are the largest and growing and fastest growing and where the profit pools are. We enhance our ability to win. And if we enhance our ability to win, we are increase our ability to, you know, to have significant revenue. And guess what? Since we're focused, it can only also make us slimmer. And all this story goes because we're really focused on becoming, you know, cash flow positive, uh, you know, soon. That's part of the obsessions we have as a team, hunkering down, focusing on our key markets, uh, you know, and becoming cash flow positive. And then starting to evaluate all these other options, which are still small markets today, which we'll probably have to invest a little bit upfront, uh, you know, but we want to do it in a very cautious way when we actually think, see things, uh, you know, moving, uh, you know, more. So uh, what you said kind of blew my mind a little in terms of, um, each country is so unique in, in what they, what they want from their flower. And and let's just stick with flower because extracts is a whole different ball of wax, literally. Um, but so, and you're saying that even if you were to, 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 you know, to get a, a smaller market, it is as hard and takes as much manpower um, to physically get up to speed on that specific market and what they like. Can you talk a little bit about the differences between like what what Israel likes versus what Colombia likes versus what Australia likes? Like, like I, I that's just a kid. Like, just pick one. I'm just that's just cur- I'm curious. And, and let's let, let's for example use uh, you know pragmatic stuff. Take a strain, right? Remember in flower, it's a lot has to do with the strain, which, mm-hmm. you know, in itself determines a lot of the characteristics or many of the characteristics of the final product. Same strain. You can sell in Germany that strain with 25% THC. You cannot sell that strain in Israel because the regulation doesn't even allow it. 
because it's too hot. Okay. Because it's too hot. Just an example. Okay. Second, second, you know, uh, the degree of, 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 uh, you know, irradiation. Irradiation is something that patients in Germany are starting to prefer the flower not to have. It's possible to have it, but, you know, there is a trend towards non irradiated Mm -hmm. flower. That's not the case, at least right now in Israel or Australia, or at least as pronounced, you know. a strain, you know, you can you can you can launch a strain in, in in Australia that's brand new, perfect. Everybody wants it, but then you go to your Israeli plants and they say, ah, that's stale, that's old, that's the hmm. strain of the past. So it's very complex. So you have to really understand that there are th- different markets. I mean, of course, the basic processes to grow the strains and everything are similar, but you have to understand the nuances in terms of the time, in terms of the THC contents, in terms of the you know uh, microbiological remediation which are not the same. I mean, that, that's a learning that we had. You know, we always thought, okay, it's 22% flour, we're going to sell. Mm-mm. That doesn't work that way. Well, you know, it's, uh, it's funny that you're talking about all the different markets because it makes me think here in the States, every state is different in terms of like what their preference is um, in terms of cannabis. Some states want pre-rolls, some states just like the flour. But, you know, could you take us a bit back in time? Can we talk about the first Colombian export and what that was like for the company? I would say that that was a, a huge milestone for the company as for the country, right? Because imagine for the first time you're exporting a product that used to be controlled by the authorities and that has cost so much you know, uh, pain, I would argue, to the Colombian uh, population. Uh, so it was, it was uh, you know, it, it was several things. Number one, it was the demonstration that we were able to actually ship product from Colombia to another country, right? Be it for research or commercial purpose. That's the first thing. Because the first thing when you talk cannabis and you talk Colombia is, you know, people imagine something completely different from what you can see when you get there, right? If you go and Google, you know, Colombian uh, marijuana, I guess that's the way you'd Google it. Uh, you, you see all of these pictures of, you know, grows in the dark on the mountains and you know like what appears in the movies etc and then when you talk to us that's what you see right that so it's nice greenhouses pharmaceutical completely different now but if you're talking to a client anywhere in the world you know it's hard for them to say hmm i actually believe this guys so we had to bring a lot of people a lot of people had to come at the beginning they were skeptic and when they saw what they saw actually including our canadian peers our competitors uh, they said, ah, oh, okay, but you can grow it cheap, but you cannot grow it, uh, you know, consistent. And they went into the greenhouse and said, oh my God, you can actually grow it consistently. So yes, so we have been, you know, breaking a lot of paradigms into cannabis cultivation and the extraction production. So that was the first thing, demonstrate that we had what it took to actually deliver very high quality product, you know, at a very uh, reasonable cost. And that I think was a key milestone for us and I would argue for the country. And second, you know, being able to use those pipelines for the first time, because I'm not kidding, right? The, you know, anti-narcotics police in Colombia, as you can imagine, and you know, and the controls on all the narcotics, mm-hmm. given our history, is tough. It's really tough, and uh, rightfully so, right? Rightfully so. So for the first time, you know, they were, you know, signing documents approving the export of these substances, etc. So it meant a change in mindset, right? It meant a change in mindset to very different degrees. It meant a change in mindset to the person responsible at the airport for the, you know, uh, uh, approving the, the export. It meant a change in mindset for the regulators and the ministers. 
you know, saying, well, what are we getting into here? Uh, you know, I would, and I would argue it actually meant a change in mindset, uh, you know, in the, in the public in general. Now, I mentioned at the beginning uh, of, 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 um, of this conversation that, you know, when I first got introduced into Canada, that was 2016, I, I did, you know, the question I had to ask myself, which my partner asked me is, are you going to go to your kid's school and say you're in Canada? And I think that was a very, you know, strong question. Actually, you know, uh, my first kid uh, was in school and it wasn't that open at the beginning. Then my second kid, and then let's fast forward, you know, uh, four years after that, um, he came to school. And at the and at the very first dinner with parents, I said, I'm in medical cannabis and everybody was, oh, that's great. You know, where are you? So the change in mentality and the only way you can change that, you can sit down here and talk and talk and talk and appear in newspapers and stuff, but that doesn't change the image. What changes the image? When you get certification like the one we have, when you are actually able to make these shipments, when you have DEA permits to actually ship your products, when all of those things happen, you actually change mentality of everybody, ranging from the person responsible to approve of approving your export to the uh, every person on the street. And I think it's been a dramatic change, uh, you know, in that sense for for the country. I would say. Absolutely. And just to follow up, where do you see medical cannabis exports going in the next, you know, five to seven years? Well, I, I hope they grow significantly. I think, as I mentioned, that the, I, I, you know, if, if you think about a country as Germany, as I was mentioning, you know, 100, 120,000 patients out of a population of, you know, you know, 80 million or so, um, it's a very, you know, uh, low incidence. Now, what can the industry and regulators do to allow for more patients to be able to access medical cannabis? So things like that and answers to those questions are going to imply significant growth. So number one, I see significant growth in countries where it's already legalized. Number two, you know, I, I, and I think Anne mentioned in the beginning, I, I, I see significant number of countries coming online, you know, and you see more and more and more. It, it kind of just doesn't make sense anymore you know, to prohibit at least, you know, uh, cannabis for medical use. I, I think I'll use it's a different discussion and every country is going to have its time. But for now, you know, I see, you know, uh, medical cannabis uh, increasing significantly. And I, I believe, and I'm a strong believer uh, that, you know, the, the industry is going to come to its senses uh, in the sense that, you know, cannabis is going to be produced where it has to be produced and where it makes sense to be produced. And it's going to be sold where it makes sense uh, to be sold. What do we have to do? We have to make sure we ensure the quality, the product, uh, you know, the, the, the right product development uh, efforts, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but I believe if we do that, you know, the the the, uh, the potential of the industry is frankly immense. You know, you talk about um, what you have to do is a lot of education, I would assume, you know, and 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 talking to people about um, the benefits of of Colombia and kind of be. Um, a teacher of sorts of, of, you know, understanding what the benefits are, what the climate is about. Um, and you know, you guys have announced, um, a, a lot of partnerships. Um, and you know, you, you talked a little earlier, you know, about your, your child's school and, you know, talking to the parents or, um, you know, about what you do for a living. Um, are you finding those, those, you know, those meetings with the intercures of the world or, um, Bi biome therapeutics is a, is another, um, recent partnership. Are you finding those conversations easier to, as, you know, as you, you guys you mature with, with, partners. with the partners? Yeah. Yes. I, I think so in the sense that we're getting, uh, we're, we're gaining our space, right. And when people, more and more people have seen our facilities, more and more people are seeing our product, you know, and, and then I, I guess companies figure out that if, uh, you know, 
that is through partnerships with companies like us that they could uh, continue to grow and particularly grow internationally. Take in Turkey, for example, right? They're a very strong company, very, very strong in Israel, growing internationally, right? You know, they're expanding to different places in the world. You know, and, and, and our agreement is basically, yes, we were going to try to sell some product through Intercure, through Candoc in, in Israel, but it's way beyond that now, right? It's it's technological, you know, uh, collaboration. It's, you know, it's genetics. It's how do we become, in a way, you know, their source of product for their international expansion. And that's how we're seeing clients, right? So I would say at the beginning, people were, maybe saying, hmm, okay, you're a company with a co-production in Colombia. Then they say, okay, you have production in Colombia and Portugal. And then they say, okay, you have UGMP. But now, you know, I would say our, you know, the perception of people, uh, you know, in the cannabis industry about Clever Leaves, its products, its quality, you know, its way of doing business is very, very strong, you know, and, and that helps us, of course, in all of these, uh, you know, conversations. And that's why, you know, we try to establish these longer term strategic partnerships as, as opposed to, you know, short term supply agreements, because we believe, you know, that a company like us is here to stay and play within the cannabis ecosystem because the thesis makes sense. Not because, you know, we're here and regulation made us be here because the thesis and the business rationale is there. Uh, we talked to obviously a lot of entrepreneurs in the space and, um, it's a risk to get, to get into this, into this business. Are, was there anything as you think back to your career in cannabis, um, of, of a challenge that, you know, you didn't think it would be that big of a challenge or, or something that you learned, um, you know, if someone came to you and said, I want to get into this business, is there any sage advice you have to be like, don't do this or do, or you have to do this because I've learned this amazing thing? Uh, so let, let me, let me split my answer. Into. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think entrepreneurship in general is, is complicated, uh, you know, and, and, uh, and as uh, an old boss of mine used to say, you know, it's, it's the glamorous stuff that, that appears in the PR and everything, but there is a lot of very hard work. Um, so a couple of things, number one, you know, one of the things, uh, I believe many people, you know, got wrong at the beginning in the industry. And I think it's, it's true is that it was going to be faster, right? So if you think about it, the numbers make sense, the markets make sense, but the speed at which the markets have developed has been a lot slower than we all envisioned. And everybody, investors, the companies, uh, you know, and, and, and it's it, and it's a reflection of that complexity, right? That, as I was mentioning, it's, it's, it's a pharmaceutical product, but it's not. It's a narcotic product, but it's a new, you know, medical product in some cases. So it's been quite complex. So I would say one of the things I've learned is cannabis is not a short-term game. You know, I think it's a few people at the beginning who, you know, came in, did a lot of money, made a lot of money and left. But I think right now it's a long-term game uh, in which companies have to focus on the fundamentals you know, invest, uh, you know, uh, very carefully, uh, you know, where capital is no longer crazily available as it was at the, as at the very beginning. So, you know, that kind of changes the mindset of people who want to come in. So if you want to come in and just do a quick buck, I think it's probably not the best sector. Uh, I think there are others when you, where you can actually do that uh, much easier. So it's a longer term game. Uh, and I would say that that's one of the one of the key things in general. Now, the second thing I've learned, and I think this is very important, and actually we have gone through this mind, mindset transformation, is I think all the cannabis companies believe they could do it all themselves, right? And that's why you heard a lot of vertical integration. All of us were doing everything from you know seed to patient and seed to you know consumer, everything. 
pick the company. We all did that. I think everybody has come to their senses, including us. Uh, and we're focused, right? What are we focused? We're focused on growing, you know, very high quality cannabis at scale, sustainably, uh, you know, uh, you know, at a, at a cost efficient way uh, and serving our partners all over the world and helping them, you know, run their business. Uh, and that's, that's her place. And we want to win in the place. And we believe, you know, we have the right to win. And, and, and we believe that there is a significant profit pool for us to do that. But at the beginning, as many others, and I would argue some others still have that mentality is we're going to do everything ourselves. But the reality is it's very hard, right? Uh, when you think about the gen work on genetics, you know, the work on, on tissue culture, the work on co-growing itself, which is tough. Uh, you know, the work on formulating for final products or extracts, uh, or, or for example, you know, well, I want to create a wellness brand and I also want to create a, a medical brand and I also want to do clinical research and I have this, you know, vaping, uh, you know, uh, medical device. That's frankly doesn't make a lot of, it doesn't make a lot of sense in any industry, but in cannabis, and maybe at the beginning, it was a result of the fact that there was nothing, right? So we all kind of went in that direction. But I think you kind of had to in the U.S. We in certain markets to. in the U.S., yeah, you were like, yeah. there's no choice. That's yeah. the reality. You kind yeah. of have to. But I do see a trend, you know, in the other direction of companies specializing. And when, when I, I still, you know, probably two years ago, I would argue, I got a lot of calls from people. Hey, I have this land from my aunt. <laughs> You know, it's a few hectares. I'm going to grow some CBD and I'm going to be rich growing isolate. I said, well, trust me, that's not the case. And I used to sit down and actually went to the university, did some courses on it. And people sometimes got pissed at me and said, hey, you don't want competition. I said, that's not, I mean, really. But, but look look at the numbers. And then they said, hmm, maybe not. So I think in, if anybody, I, I do believe it's a growing industry. I do believe it's an industry where people are, or companies are specializing. And I believe, you know, that it, it is an industry where you can certainly find opportunities. But my clear recommendation is never go in trying to do what we did at the beginning or what Tilray did or, or take Canopy, whatever company, right? Focus, decide what your strategy is going to be, how you're going to differentiate and push there. And, and, and there, you know, in the cannabis industry, you know, has a lot of opportunities, but just don't try to do the basic seek to patient you know, story, because I think that's a story that's quite complex. There's so much uh, tweetable content just in what you just said there. <laughs> so you guys make sure you tweet and tag us so that we can the word. That was awesome. But, you know, the, you know, to be fair, the market is taking a hit. Do you think that we're going to see a bottom soon? Yeah, I, I think we're close to the bottom, frankly. And I think the reality is that what's happening is, uh, you know, investors in general, you know, are, are really wanting companies to, you know, generate revenues and be EBITDA positive. And, you know, that's kind of it. And it sounds a little dumb when you say it, but it's kind of obvious. And I think, you know, the whole, you know, uh, how do you call it? Uh, yeah, I mean the whole the whole uh, you know bet on what it could be, et cetera, et cetera, happened. And right now people are going back to fundamentals. And I, and I think it's companies that can actually start delivering on the fundamentals that are gonna be that are, are gonna see the light of day uh, in, in the in the years to come. So I and I think there's when the valuations are gonna pick up, et cetera. But I think the reality is, you know, uh, investors are already seeing through this and the hype, you know, is kind of uh, of, of of gone. Plus, out all of the macroeconomic issues that we're facing, which do not help. But the reality is, I think it's basic, you know, the industry has gone through a transformation. Investors in the industry now want to see 
know, things that make sense as opposed to things that sound as a potential good opportunity and they want to see cash flow generation. So I, I think, you know, as, as again, as long as companies focus on it, uh, you know, you know, the market's going to react. I'll take ourselves, right? We focused on our key markets, focused on lowering costs, focusing on managing our spend, because that's what we frankly can do. Uh, and as long as we do that, we expect eventually the market to react. But for sure, what we're doing is building, building the foundation of, you know, a strong company that can be self-sustainable in the future. And I think that's the mindset that cannabis companies, uh, you know, need to have. Yeah. Oh, you're going to... <laughs> I was just going to, you know, speaking of speaking of the future and, you know, betting on things that are, you know, designed that can actually work. Where, where do you see the industry going? Are you seeing any promising trends that will help propel the industry forward? Yeah, as I was, I was saying, I see, you know, markets, uh, you know, growing significantly. Again, take Australia, take Brazil. You know, I think Germany is a little stagnant and that's a key question we all have to figure out. You know why? Because I think the opportunity is there, but we also see a lot of uh, a lot of uh, regulation, you know, passing both on the medical side as more countries legalize and it's happening and it's clear it's happening. Uh, and I think the other dynamic is what's going to happen when when uh, when adult use is regulated. You know, right. what's going to happen with those different markets? That's a big question right now. Nobody knows. I think people who uh, you know come and I said this in Germany. Some people like my answer. Some people don't. But nobody really knows. Uh, and it depends, of course, if you're close to the pharmacy world, you think it's going to be through pharmacies and they're going to play a role. If you're <laughs> far away from them, you think that's absolutely ridiculous and they're not going to play a role. And I remember, you know, what's happening. In <laughs> so, so what I'm saying is that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. What are we doing? We're building our we're building our capabilities. We're building products, you know, that 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 people want in each of those markets. We're making sure we are meeting the requirements, which are probably going to be the stiffest there are. Even if adult use, uh, you know, is, is eventually legalized, uh, you know, and and we have a footprint that includes Colombia and Portugal because I think one of the one of the key challenges with uh, with uh, with adult use is, you know, to what extent is any international trade going to be possible, right? Because mm -hmm. remember, as per the UN Convention, nothing is possible for recreation or adult use. Uh, part of the reason why Canada doesn't export any adult use, it only exports medical use. Uh, so how is that going to work? You know, our countries like Germany, take for example, that cannot, of course, cannot supply their own market at, at least now. Are they going to, what are they going to, how are they going to solve that equation? Are changes like what could happen in Germany catalysts for further change? I don't know, you know what's going to happen with the U.S. But I think that's another thing to watch. We're not so obsessed by it because I, we understand it's not going to happen overnight and really people don't know. Uh, so what we're doing again is building our capabilities so that we're as ready as we can be, but that's going to be another thing to watch. Um, one of the fun, not so fun parlor games that, that we play here is, um, from, from the U S perspective of, you know, legalization, rescheduling what's happening with safe banking. So there's all of these kind of levers, um, in, in the U.S. government about how how they're going to deal with cannabis moving forward. Um, you know, we hear from a lot of U.S. entrepreneurs, but as you go and you talk to people in Australia and and Colombia and Israel and Portugal, are, what are you what what are they saying about the U.S.? Is it like ugh, like what a joke, or is it you know it's going to happen next year? Like, is there is there any trend, or is it just no one knows what the hell is going to happen? I think the most sensible people say that nobody really knows. Uh, I think what people are, 
you know, are kind of agreeing is that most probably the safe, you know, banking act is, is going to pass, which I think is actually a very good thing because it helps companies all over the world. You know, the whole issue about uh, transactions not being able to go through through the U.S. banking system is application, uh, but nobody's really betting on anything anything else happening. You know, swiftly. We, for example, have you know, an, 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 uh, you know, some agreements with companies doing research in the U.S. and we very much, you know, are, are, are very happy about those because we believe that the U.S. could actually be a catalyst for you know the development of products and, and, and new, you know, uh, drugs and clinical trials, etc. Uh, so to the extent we can help that, you know, we're going to be there, but that's not a significant market at, uh, at this point in itself for us, but it might be in the future. So we're making some bets like, like we've, uh, you know, we should some press releases around that. But the reality is at this point, it's a state by state thing as you, you know, uh, in the U S very well know a lot more than me, you know, the whole political landscape is changing. What can happen in the, in the midterm elections is, is, is you know, is, is, is going to change, you know, how, how things and what things can be thought of, uh, what happens in the next presidential election. So I think, you know, the, again, the reality is for us, at least, we are not counting on a legalization in the U.S. for a business plan to be, uh, you know, feasible and sustainable. We believe that the way we see it is the U.S. is a huge opportunity, but there is a big question mark on when and how. Big, big, big. And hence, we don't base our, uh, our plans on that, you know. How can we? Yeah. Uh, and I think it, it, it would be, it doesn't make really a lot of sense, uh, you know, to base your 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 plans on that. No, of course, if, 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 if the market opens up and we could go in, that's a different story. But when, how, you have to wait. So one last question, um, and you've been so generous with your time. Thank you. Uh, if you had to, if you were able to write your own headline for for a story in pick a publication, the Financial Times, the Wall Street Journal, um, the New York Times, um, and and talk about a story that is undertold or not being told at all. Is there is there one story that you're just like oh, I wish I wish someone would cover this? Yeah, I, I think uh, you know the story I, I would always like to see published. I always ask my question as to why doesn't it happen? Is you know. Uh, you know, medical cannabis really being able to make a dent on the use of opioids and other, you know, very, uh, you know, complicated uh, drugs for, for people, right? And I believe we have a solution in medical cannabis uh, that could work. Uh, you know, it's still a question why, you know, physicians are a little bit concerned, why, uh, you know, health authorities in some countries are concerned. But I really believe, and I believe, I, I, I began this, this conversation saying, our purpose is really to bring the benefits of medical cannabis to patients around the world. And I do believe opioids are a big pandemic, uh, I would call it. And I think cannabis is a solution. I'm not going to say the solution, but a solution. And I would love to see you know, cannabis you know, uh, obtaining that space in, in that battle because I think many, many, many people could benefit from it. Uh, um, you know, and I think it's up to us, to companies like us, the industry, to really be able to get that message across. And, and the day that happens, you know, I, I'd say we've we've achieved, you know, part of, part of our purpose. Great place to leave it. Thank you so much, Andres. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you to Andres Fajardo of Clever Leaves. To check out more about Clever Leaves, go to cleverleaves.com. That's C-L-E-V-E-R-L-E-A-V-E-S.com. 
As always, thank you so much for listening. If you want to chat with us, please reach out to us on Twitter at the underscore green rush or on Instagram at the green rush underscore podcast. Um, special shout out to our social media team. They're doing some beautiful content over there um, or drop us an email at greenrush at kcsa.com. We love your feedback and guest ideas. And please don't forget to subscribe and rate the green rush in your favorite podcatcher. That's one take Shay, one take. Cannabis! Cannabis!